Hi, Chris, and welcome to Making as a Musician. Hi, Christy. Thank you. wondering how would you describe yourself? That's a hard one. How would I describe myself? I suppose family man first and foremost, you know, looking after my girls and stuff. I suppose I'm a, I like to keep busy. I'm a jack of all traits, you know. I uh, never put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. Hence that's why I, I suppose I like music and different styles of music. It just keeps me interested and keeps me busy. How would you describe yourself as a musician? As a musician, I suppose part-time, hobbyist, but serious about it at the same time. Just that you can never really make great money with music unless you sort of produce music that everybody wants to hear. So I like to experiment. I like to uh, hear some sounds that maybe I haven't heard before or create sounds from scratch that are coming from an unusual source, you know, from samples or even some traditional sounds, but they're manipulating that into uh, into some sort of rhythm that pleases me. I don't write for anyone else, I suppose. And that's a good thing about music is if you can get to the spot where it's for you and it's not actually for anybody else, it's just because you have to do it. Yeah, and it's therapeutic in that sense. You know, there's no stress about having to like please anybody. I suppose just yourself, but that can come over time and uh, and naturally, I suppose, hopefully. But that's it's therapeutic. Sit in the studio and you know, eight hours later. <laughs> You're wondering what time it is, you know, instead of get lost in the moment, which is great. It's, that's what I look forward to. I look forward to the making of it. Describe the moment when music first grabbed your attention. Look, the pose when I was really, really young, when my dad, um, you know, brought home. Well, we had a piano for starters in the house that we were in, like an upright piano. I never really played it that much, only like just as a kid, you know, mucking around. But I remember in that house downstairs, it was a big open room. It was like a big party room. And there was a piano, there was a television up on the wall, and I remember Kiss playing. And I think it was they were live on TV. I think it was 1980. I was about yeah about four or five years old, and I saw Kiss live on stage, and it just blew me away. I mean, after that, I made wooden guitars and wore a Kiss T-shirt and that sort of stuff. And I suppose that's when it first that's my biggest memory of when music sort of hit me. You know that that sort of moment. I 
I have photos of myself with Kiss makeup on, so I wonder, yeah, yeah they obviously really, the kids, they really got it. Yeah, they did. I mean, it's that whole theatrics about it. It was, uh, you know, they were like aliens on stage, you know, sort of out-of-this-world type people that you've never seen anything like before. And that's, I think that's what grabs you is that, theatrical sense about it and that, that mystery about it too, you know. Yeah, I was hooked straight away after that. Like, not hooked as in the sense I was a massive Kiss fan. It's just that that was a moving moment of music for me. But then, you know, you, you do other stuff. I grew in, up to, down the peninsula and I rode bikes and fishing and all that sort of stuff. So I never really got into the music side of thing until I was much later. After the high school started to get into the music I like. And then just after high school, I started to get into electronic music. That was influenced by great friends, Stephen Birdsheck, Brian Jordan, upstairs in their house with an Atari computer and a Korg M1. And we're writing this so-called electronic dance music. Yeah, and that's, I think that's what hooked me for production, you other memories of a song or a band standing out when you were young? I remember going to a garage style and buying a church album of Skins and Heart and I remember playing that record over and over and over again. I just loved it. I don't know what it was about it. It was just that, that great sound. I mean, it had Unguarded Moment on it, which is just a killer song. That always sticks with me. But that, I don't know why that album. I think maybe it's because I found it in the garage sale, you know, and I took it home and it was mine and I could play it on my record player in my bedroom, you know. That sort of sticks with me a lot. Did music play a role within your family at all? No, not really. I mean, not as instruments go. I mean, my dad sort of, I think he always thought he was a bit of a rock star. He brought out a guitar one day. He bought me an electric guitar. Uh, he could play one thing on it. I think I can play two things on an electric guitar. So it never really stuck in that sense. And I didn't have any other family members who were really into music, apart from, you know, listening to sort of pop music at the time. Yeah, so I think it was more friends that influenced me rather than family. What sort of music was being brought home by your mum and dad? Well, dad was just country classics. There was always a tape in the car that was like the best of country, you know, like Charlie Pride, Johnny Cash that sort of stuff was always playing. It was always, it was the only, one of the only like three tapes in the car that Dad listened to. So that, that sort of stuck with me. I love those songs. 
feel now. My sister, I always remember uh, she was a big Tin Fin fan, so she'd always be playing like Tin Fin and just stuff that was a bit poppy at the time, you know, sort of 80s and in then in the 80s, you know, mid to sort of late 80s. Well, I had a Duran Duran T-shirt as a 12-year-old. Did nice. what sort of what sort of music were you um, finding at 12? I got into a little bit of Bob Marley. I got into it was the John Cougar Mellencamp, which I really liked. Um, you know, that's that's one of those uh, albums that sort of sticks with me as well. I forget what the name of the album was, but I just remember those pop songs that he used to write. Yeah, that was about it. I, what about as you got older as a teenager? What sort of music were you listening to? I suppose I started to get into more alternative sort of styles. You know, I started listening to The Cure, started listening to indie pop type stuff, you know, um, Spiral Carpets, Stone Roses, that sort of stuff. You know, Happy Mondays, the Chili Peppers were in there as well. All that sort of stuff started to influence me in a way of, you know, how I was going to be as a person and the way I dressed and all that sort of stuff. to playing an instrument? Well, I, I learned saxophone in high school. I learned the drums for a little bit in high school. Learned a little bit of keyboard in high school. So around, what was that, about year eight, year nine, I started to dabble in that sort of stuff. And then, you know, then it disappeared and, you know, other influences sort of took over. It was more about going out or, you know, riding the BMX or doing that sort of stuff. And then I suppose... Like I said earlier, in about 93, I suppose it was, and that was like a year out of high school, I started to get influenced again by electronic music. Do you remember the first electronic song that really caught your attention? Uh, it was probably uh, maybe Little Fluffy Clouds by the Orb. <sighs> And that's the one that popped in my head. Yeah, just, I mean, there was a club, Clockwork Orange, and, you know, it's a big indie club in Melbourne, and they opened up a little room uh, at the side and they started to play this electronic music. And it was really, it was different than whatever we were listening to at the time, which was, you know, sort of pop rock, indie sort of stuff. And, yeah, it just, really caught us, really took us by surprise and, and I remember that's one of the tracks that was playing in there at the time and I'm, I was just blown away by it. 
I um, remember listening to Triple R on a Sunday night. And, yeah, um, Transmission, I think it was. Yeah, Transmission, and that was one of the most amazing radio programs. That was Kate Bathgate, I think, who did Transmission. Oh, okay, well, she was, she was a big influence on me. Everybody Hurts from R.E.M. No, nothing Compares to You by Sinead and Arches of Loaf were in front are a few songs that I've played over and over and over and over. <laughs> Have you had a song that you haven't been able to get enough of? Not a song. I suppose, um, I, yeah, there's a few that I sort of can't... Oh, it's, that's really hard, you know. I, I sort of listen to, I listen to albums more than anything. Uh, I just put on an album and let that album do its thing, but... Supposed to come together by uh, Tom Screen is a good one. You know that that's always it always makes me happy. You know that sort of song. We are together. We are unified and on one accord. But also on the other spectrum of it, sort of the cure disintegration. For some reason, that song makes me really happy as well. It's probably the most depressing song in the world, but it, I think it just makes me feel I could never be as depressed as Robert Smith, and it makes me feel better, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's true. Have you been uh, lucky enough to see Primal Scream live? I, I have, actually. Yeah, I saw them once at a, at a, like a festival, which was fantastic. Saw Manny on, on bass, which was really cool. I'm a big Manny fan, you know, Stone Roses and Primal Scream sort of esque. And yeah, that, that was incredible. Yeah, that, that was really good. I even, uh, I think Manny wanted to hang out with me at one stage, but we were so uh, off in fairyland that we didn't realise that he sort of come over and we, we said, hey, it's Manny. We got photos with him and everything and we started chatting and Manny's just standing there just going, you know, what's, what's going on? You know, and we didn't click, like we didn't realise. We were just so blown away that Manny was there and we took a photo of him and we were hugging him and stuff and then we sort of walked away and we sort of looked back and he's just standing there by himself looking around. We go, fuck, we should have hung with him. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, that, that was a cool, cool moment, yeah. from episode one got his hair cut like Rod Stewart. Have you ever had a musical idol? My idols are, I suppose, my friends around me that influence the music that I do. You know, it's uh, sort of the people I've been in bands with and things like that. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't copy <laughs> their hairstyles or anything, but um, I, I, I do find, I do hold them in a higher place than myself to get influences off, you know.
did you write your first electronic song? I wrote my first song, I put a tape together, it was called Elevator Music. There's only one tape in existence and it's on my shelf just here. And it was all done with an Atari and a and a uh, Korg M1. So, you know, a Korg M1 is like a 80, 1981 synth, but it's eight parts, so you can have eight different sounds sequenced from it. And it was, you know, listening back to it, it's pretty bad, it's pretty boring. And I think Elevator Music is the right title because it was, you know, it's that sort of background music that doesn't really go anywhere. It was a good experience, you know, it's good doing the whole process of recording it all down, dubbing each channel down and putting it onto a tape, you know, it was a good good learning curve. And also, you know, using an Atari, how, yeah. how does that go? How, explain how you use an Atari to make music. Well, it's just MIDI-based, so you have a, a program, the Cubase, I think that's what was on there, and it's just basically however many MIDI channels you're using. I mean, I was using eight because my keyboard would allow me to have eight different sounds, and then just assigning each channel to a different MIDI channel, and then inside the keyboard you would match up those channels with the computer and then you could control where you want the sounds to come in, come out, how loud you want it, etc. You know, it's all drawing it in on a little grid pattern type sequencer on the computer. Very basic, but it works kind of well. Yeah, and it's just interesting that you used the equipment that you had available to you. I mean, I saved up to get the Korg M1, but that was relatively cheap at the time because they just weren't, you know, they, they weren't a popular keyboard or anything at that time. I mean, they were one of the most popular keyboards when they came out, but at that time, in the sort of 90s, no one really wanted them. And yeah, I mean, and Atari was cheap, you know, it was, you could find one for sale on eBay or Gumtree or whatever it was at the time. I think it was uh, Trading Post. Is that the first band? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that, that was the first band I was in. Ben Bridges, uh, Marcus Bridges, sorry, and Neil Boyack started the band out. And they were two guitarists basically going into the studio and just jamming together, into the rehearsal room and jamming together. And then uh, I came on board with my uh, Korg M1 and just started to do experimental sort of sounds, play with the, um, the effects and... Uh, all the, the digital parameters of the keyboard and get some atmospheric type sounds there. And then eventually Ben's, uh, uh, sorry, Marcus's brother Ben uh, Bridges came on board as the drummer and we sort of had some structure there now. So we could start, I started playing just a bit more key type stuff, you know, pads and string sounds. And yeah, and we sort of developed from there. And our, our first album was in 98, we released that, uh, In Search of Charm. Cool. And you've recorded a few live albums with Angla, and I was wondering, like, I have a bit of a strange relationship um, with the record button, like it's a switch for anxiety um, <laughs> sometimes. And I was just wondering, when you're record when you're actually recording a gig, do you do you forget that the recording's on, or are you aware for the whole gig that that's what's happening? No, I think um, I mean you you sort of remember at the start I suppose but then you sort of get lost in the music and it doesn't really matter anymore uh, you're just doing what you do I mean those 
the live recordings that we did were at um, outdoor race, um, so it was a bit more, a bit more freedom, a bit more experimental in that sense. So we weren't, we weren't under pressure to to get the songs right, I suppose, um, because they weren't, you know, we it was just a big jam session really, which was nice about that. We sort of had, I wrote beats for it, uh, bass lines and things like that, and then the rest was sort of improvised over the top. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. And I think for something like that, you know, those sort of early early days of outdoor raids or parties, it was good in that approach because there wasn't a lot of pressure, you know. the electronic music that you make now? I suppose it's always it's always evolving. Very very beat rhythm based. You know, I love I love working with drum machines and samplers and, and getting a good, you know, it might be as simple as a four four sort of dance pattern or it might be something a bit more experimental, a bit more breaks in there or something like that. I suppose at the moment it's a bit more acidy acid techno, very much influenced by the equipment that I get. You know, if I if I start hearing a sound or um, I really like what I'm sort of here out there that's influencing me, I'll uh, I'll source the gear and buy it, and that will sort of the instruments play me, I suppose, a lot of the time. You've got Cirque Sound, and I think Fat Purrs. Yeah, yeah, the Fat Purrs is a bit of a uh, a bit of a, a funny sort of side project, more collaborations as well as just the tracks that I suppose don't fit the whole Cirque genre you know it's sort of not electronic enough or not uh dancey enough i suppose maybe yeah it's more collaboration type stuff you know stuff that's experimental and of the time i suppose the circ stuff is all hardware based where you know i don't use any computers to create the music i all i use a computer for is to record it but it's not controlled by a computer at all it's all controlled by drum machines and synths and samplers synced together, whereas the Fat Purrs is, is anything. I could have written something on a computer only, or it could be a guitar that someone else has come in, I've just put a 4-4 kick to it or something like that, you know? first live performance like? Nerve-wracking. Which project was it for? Well, first uh, first performances and Cirque as electronic stuff was nerve-wracking. Um, both was nerve-wracking as well. I suppose Angler was really nerve-wracking as well. Uh, but it makes it easier when there's other people up on stage with you. The, the pressure's not as much, you know. But as, as Cirque, yeah, it's just, it's nerve-wracking. And I, I think the more people there, the, the easier it is, I find, you know. The more people that are watching you and the more people that are at your gig, 
I find that there's less pressure for some reason. Uh, I think because maybe they're here to hear you, you know, you sort of feel a bit more confident because of that. But if there's not many people around, you're sort of going, oh, shit, it's not working, you know? Yeah. Where was your first live performance? Yeah, I was just trying to think of that. I think I did one at um, Fad Gallery in the city. I think that was one of my first live performances at Cirque myself. And the first performance with Angler, it might have been the uh, Empress of India. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, tiniest stage you've ever been on, but good little room, sounded great. I think that might have been the first one. Yeah, or I remember we doing we did a show for some party, I think it was called Post Office. Yeah, it was sort of near Festival Hall, it was in a building opposite to the Festival Hall. Called oh, Post yeah. Yeah, I think that was, well, was one of the early ones anyway, and one of the, I always remember that night because the, the supporting act or one of the acts that were playing they were doing some hip hop experimental stuff and they got out cans of dog food and started throwing dog food around. Oh. Um, yeah, so it was, it's always remember because we were guarding the equipment, so you better not get it on the synths, you better not get it on the, you know, the guitar amps and all that stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, quite memorable. Influences. I get really influenced by sort of close friends that when we do music together and it sort of goes somewhere or, or they're doing music themselves and I hear about it and that will inspire me to, to do music or uh, to get together with them to, to collaborate or something like that. You know, I still see, you know, even though Angler hasn't released anything for a long time, we still get together occasionally and then and do music, especially with Neil. Uh, he's quite, he's closer than anybody else. Then I still see occasionally, and there is an Anglo album in the pipework. It's just a matter of getting it all on the same page. I mean, Ben's over in Hong Kong. So we, we've sent tracks over there, but he's really busy with his, doing his own live music. And once he gets some time, he'll start doing some overdubs on it. And hopefully we have something, you know, concrete about it. But there's also some Anglo vinyl coming out as well. But yeah, the influences are just the people around me, I suppose. You know, the the people I do music with and things like that. I'm a bit of a, a hermit when it comes to getting out and listening to music. I'll go and see bands I like or whatever, but when it comes to experimental stuff or, or new stuff, sort of a bit more maybe stuff I hear on the radio or a certain show or something like that. You've done quite a bit of work as an AV sound engineer backstage. I was yep. wondering, where would you prefer to be, backstage or, on, or out the front? Backstage is easier. I've just been doing it for 20 years, I suppose, uh, AV work, so it comes really natural to me. So it, where, where I feel most comfortable is there, um, but at the same time, I do love being on stage and playing music, but because I don't do it that often, it's sort of, it, it's hard, it's hard work, you know. Um, so if I was going to say the easy way out, it would be AV, but if I was going to be tough about it and, and uh, be true to my craft, it would be life, you know. Yeah. Can you name a song that you 
a favourite song that you have that you think everyone should listen to? Mm, a favourite song? Uh, maybe, uh, is, it, uh, is it Sparkle Horse, Piano Fire? That's an incredible song, just incredible songwriter. Just the way that song starts off and comes in with a with a heavier beat, it's just beautifully done. Um, I mean, Sparkle Horse, everyone should listen to Sparkle Horse. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree with you there. Is there a favourite gig you've ever been to? I think it would be last year when I went and re-saw The Cure. Absolutely amazing gig. It was like a party, Rod Laver Arena, full to the brim, and it was such a party vibe, and every single song was amazingly played. It just it sounded so much like the albums, but also had that live element to it. They just played so well, it sounded so good. I had my whole family there, so my two daughters came with me. My wife was there, and it was just, it was a really, really great moment. Three hours of The Cure was just incredible. Yeah, and do you have a standout song from that performance? I think anything off Disintegration I love. <laughs> I just love that album. I, I listen to it, you know, it's, that's another one that goes on that's been my high rotation. It's just an absolutely beautiful album. Robert Smith was so humble in his appreciation of us filling that, uh, filling the stadium for him, you know, which was really good. And his voice is still incredible. It's really good. Is there an instrument that you wished you played? I suppose um, if you can call vocals an instrument, that's one that I, I just think I, I would have liked to have been able to sing. I do occasionally do some vocal stuff, but it's, I wouldn't call it much singing. But I just find that that's the easiest job in the world as a musician, just rocking up to a gig and you don't even have to bring anything. You just use the venue microphone as well, really. Um, so that, that I would like to have done that. But another one would be, I suppose, uh, harmonica, you know. Another, just put it in your top pocket and pull it out and play a great harmonica lick would be awesome, you know. I've often, I've got one and I've often been meaning to teach myself but it's one of those things so you, you dedicate 
time to something else and you lose it in another spot. So yeah, I was lucky enough to grow up with a grandfather that played harmonica and, and that was amazing. Yeah, you don't realise how lucky you are to have someone that just whips out a harmonica and with him there was always music, even though he probably would never have said he was musical. I, I just think it's such a powerful instrument and, and what comes to mind is uh, another great gig when it, I saw um, Beck who played, yeah, um, oh, I forget the name of the place, opposite Fed Square there on the corner. Um, oh, the Forum? Yeah, the Forum Theatre there. And I saw Beck and, you know, he had his whole band, but at one stage the band sort of started dying off, as in, you know, instruments would be cutting out. And there's Beck just with the harmonica and he's stomping his foot on the floor playing this harmonica and everybody in the place is jumping up and down to Beck's foot motions and his harmonica. It was, that was an incredible, powerful moment, you know, just such simple thing could get so many people uh, lose control. It was incredible. How do you go about writing an electronic song nowadays? I suppose I'm, the equipment I'm using is a combination of analog and digital synths, samplers, drum machines. So I, I suppose I'd, I'd go to my main source, which is the Electron Rhythm, and that's R-Y-T-M. It's a strange name, but it's a cool bit of gear. So basically it's a sampler and a drum machine together, so I'll find sounds that I like in there, maybe a, a kick, a snare, a hat, something really basic and a bass line, and just start experimenting and, and writing something, maybe just with a simple 4-4 pattern first and see what happens from there, and then maybe add an acid line to it or maybe a synth part in a synth, like maybe an old SH-101, I might write something very simple and get that going. could change throughout time I'm writing the track, but that's how I sort of start and then just get that flow going in the studio and, and try and be inspired by the equipment and, and what I've heard and what I've been doing, I suppose. I'm a bit of a Casio sound lover, especially their 80s range. Is there a type of machine that you really love? Yeah, I think that um, that squelchy sort of analogue sound I really like, you know, like a TB303, Acervine or, uh, you know, the SH-101, that similar Roland synth sound. But, you know, also, um, you know, my the Korg MS-2000 that I've got, which is a digital but just the way that it works with its 16-part effects sort of sequence on there, you can have sort of three different effects or parameters of the sounds being altered over 16 parts. That to me is really inspirational. And then lush pad sounds are really nice too, you know. I've always just 
since having that Korg M1, it was um, just hearing really nice pad string sounds. I, I really dig that as well. What is your favourite song of your own that you've recorded? That's a hard one. A lot of my music, I mean, it's when I don't know if I've finished a track or not. I sort of, I always feel that I could have done better listening back to recorded stuff. And well, while I'm recording or while I'm creating song, I'll, I'll constantly be changing and altering and trying to reach perfection, which I don't think I can ever do in my own mind. Someone else might say, yeah, that's great, um, but. I'll always find a fault in my art, I suppose. Choosing a best track is really hard. I suppose memory-wise, recently, maybe um, Devil's Technology, uh, on the album Devil's Technology, Find the Truth. That was a really memorable track and a sort of favourite one at the time just because I collaborated with Stephen Burchek, who's unfortunately no longer with us. And he, he was one of the first people to influence me in that dance music genre and, and start writing together when he was doing stuff with Sonic Animation and, and that sort of thing. And just writing that, having him sitting in the studio with me while I was writing the track and he was being a co-producer and saying, no, try this out, uh, try this out. It was a really good process and it flowed really well and we had a really good time writing it. And it turned out pretty good. experimental, bit dubby, electronic, with some pretty cool samples in there, So, and it all sort of fit well, uh, I thought. You're not alone with music and listening back and finding it difficult. And who's to say when a track should start and finish, and you know, who's to say that it's full or not enough, you know, there's, there's a genre called minimal, I'm yet to, I might start it myself, called maximal, you know, and just put as much as I can into songs, and I suppose that I do that a lot anyway. I like to fill up my song, sort of like that, that 60s wall of sound sort of vibe where I'll, I'll fill up the space. Although a huge influence on me, Marcus Bridges, who passed away uh, two weeks before our first Angler album came out, and he was like the, he was the genius prodigy behind all that music. He started a, a sort of a side label called The Space Between, and he always told me, it's not about all these notes that we're playing. It's all about the air that's in between all of these notes. Because if you didn't have that air in between all these notes, it would just be uh, chaos, you know? So the space in between every note that we play or every sound that we put in there creates the rhythm. And to me, that, that, that really stuck with me. And I find that one of the hardest possible things to do is to strip back and, like we are saying before, know when a track's finished, but not being, not going, oh no, I need something in there, you know. Um, having that breathing room is, is really hard to, to know, you know, when, when, when it's enough.
off where would you recommend any listeners to start off in? I mean, it's probably out there, but look, I, I think Logic is probably one of the best uh, out there for the for the sake of it sounds really good. The quality of sound is amazing. It is full of instruments and loops already, so if you didn't have any equipment straight away, you could start writing things, both MIDI based or you know writing things from scratch from a synthesizer like a software synth or just having loops on top of each other to create a track. So that to me is probably the best I've used. Um, Ableton Live is great as well because it combines, because you can really utilize the sequence in there in a, in a live environment really well. It's very intuitive like that, but I found Logic just sounds better. Excellent. And you said that there's an Angler recording in the works? We've done some newer recordings as well as compiled some older stuff that didn't make and we sort of rehashed it uh, but didn't make any other albums. But sort of what started that is um, we got an email from someone saying that they'd like to put our like a best of Angler on vinyl and release it. So that's in in the pipeline at the moment as well. So there's going to be an Angler vinyl being released and that just got us thinking, yeah, we should keep going. We should keep releasing some stuff and, you know, who knows where it will lead. And we've still got lots of music under our belt and we still record every time we do any jamming or anything. I think that's the key with Angler is that we always hit record because you never know what we come up with because uh, it's very it's very jam-based, jam you know, but it'll be stuff like remember, remember this lick or remember this progression and we'll put it into practice and then, you know, we'll, we'll hit record and just see what comes out of it. So, yeah, it's exciting that there is something coming, but it's, uh, it's a slower process these days only for the fact of the distance between... Everyone. Yeah, everyone's in distance spots. Is there any local artist you'd recommend listeners checking out? Any local artist? I suppose uh, the the whole Acid Chicken label. I mean, that's it's not really local. Tom Kong, but he used to live in Melbourne, so I can say he's local. He's still local to me. The Acid Chicken label is incredible. I mean, they they, they released my uh, album last year, uh, my latest one, and some future ones they got uh, planning for me. And they do a lot of compilations, and it's just great dance music with. Um, you know, that whole acid TV Trio 3 influence behind it. It's sort of a, a rehash of the old techno from the 90s, and but it's got a modern feel to it, you know, it's with today's technology, and it's just great stuff, good party music. of a fan of Jeff Mills. Have you got a DJ that you were a big fan of? I suppose, yeah, Jeff Mills is great. Uh, the Melbourne DJ Boogs, he's amazing. Every time I've seen him, and he's still DJing, and he's still going strong. I think it's like, I don't know, nearly 30 years of DJing or something. And every time I've seen him play, he just plays killer party songs. You always have a good time listening to him. I suppose another one up there with sort of Jeff Mills would have to be um, Carl Cox, you know. Seeing Carl Cox in the early days of, you know, doing that three turntable thing or whatever, 
I mean, that's, that's where that's where new music was almost born. Was you know you'd hear these familiar sounds, but the way that they mixed them all together was a totally new song, and and that was really inspirational. You know, to hear that sort of stuff and hear what could be done with turntables. They're not a musician playing an instrument, but it's sort of they are. You know, they're they're using these turntables like an instrument and and altering the sound. They're almost like the the greatest remixes on earth. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I've just got a couple of silly questions to go. So the first silly question, I'm going to give you 10 options of two, I guess is what I could say, and you have to choose which option you prefer. You can't sit on the fence. Right. Here we go. Guitars or drums? Guitars. Beatles or Elvis? Beatles. ABBA or the Ramones? The Ramones. Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana. The Go-Betweens or Paul Kelly? The hard one. The Go-Betweens. Country or drum and bass? Drum and bass. Classical or hip-hop? Hip-hop. Gigs or the studio? The studio. House or trance? Well, trance is an ugly word. Um, house. <laughs> and Sex Pistols or Joy Division? A Joy Division, all the way. All the way. Bonnie Prince Billy said he would do a duet with me, and I was wondering if you could recommend a song that we could sing together. Oh, wow. That'd be great. Oh, jeez. song for you and Bonnie Prince Billy. Maybe um, as corny as You Light Up My Life. Oh, excellent. That yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. you guys would do a great rendition of that. That would be incredible. I'm picturing that now. Anyway, I'm going to sign off. So thank you, Chris, for joining Making You a Musician. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great talking. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. And uh, I look forward to hearing that Angler stuff. Good luck with everything this year. All right, thank you. Thanks, Chrissy.